there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Creative people and how they do their thing. That's what I love to talk about. Today, my guest is cartoonist Eric Orner. He is the author of a new graphic novel called Smart Guy, The Life and Times of Barney Frank. It's about the famous congressman and firebrand, um, one of my heroes who I love and the king of the um, political quips, uh, Barney Frank. And Eric wrote this beautiful, funny, interesting um, thick, <laughs> sizable um, graphic, I guess it would be a graphic novel, even though it's not fiction, about Barney Frank's life called Smart Guy, S-M-A-H-T-G-U-I, Smart Guy, because a lot of it's set in Boston. you got to be smart about these things. Before we get to the interview, though, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by me, pretty much. Um, uh, I have a, a great mixer in New York, uh, AJ Sousa, who mixes the episodes. Otherwise, it's a one-man show. And there are two ways you can help me keep it going and uh, help cover the expenses that come with the podcast. You can go to DennisAnyone.net slash support and leave a tip in my virtual tip jar. Or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. I'm one of many shows that are part of that group. And for a monthly fee, you get my show two days early and all these other great shows. And you can learn about that at DNRStudios.com. All right, enough for the plugs. Here is the interview with Eric Horner. Joining me now from Terrytown, New York, it is Eric Orner. He's the author of a new book called Smart Guy. It's a graphic biography of Barney Frank, and uh, it is interesting and fun and delightful, and I'm so excited to talk to you. So welcome to the podcast. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you very much. I'm glad you think it's fun. That's well, uh, important for a cartoon book. Well, I've seen graphic novels before. I haven't read a lot of them, like Fun Home, and which is also, I guess, a memoir, but this is a biography, which I hadn't seen. Um, right. Is that a relatively new idea? Have people done this? Or, or were you like, you know what, I would love to write about this man and use my art. How did you conceive it? I'm a cartoonist. I, I, you know, I, I've been a, a working cartoonist for most of my adult life. I also, like a lot of artists, sometimes have had to have a day job to keep a roof over my head. Sure. Yeah. I grew up in a very political family, so sort of by osmosis, I know how I, I have certain political communication skills. I can write a speech. Right. I, you know, I can read. I can read a poll result and understand which precincts are in trouble. It, it's sort of like a. I was describing it as like a a kid who grew up, you know, wanting to play in the symphony orchestra, but happens to grow up in a family that sells Pontiacs. Like he's not particularly interested in selling Pontiacs, but he knows how to do it. Right. Um, For me, that's what politics is. I um, just, and so one of my day jobs was working for this congressman. So that, that's, that's the, you know, that's why I know these stories. Uh, This just sort of occurred to me at one point where like, wow, I can turn my plan B in life. I could sort of squeeze it back into plan A, which is uh, being a cartoonist. So I wrote about my day job. I'm not a character in this book. Right. I decided, I decided that that aspect of it, my relationship with this person, wasn't particularly interesting. Um, so it's not like Devil Wears Prada, right. where, where the person who worked for the other person is a main character. Right. But same idea. Well, you anyway. pop up at one frame. There's one frame where you're like, I'm the intern in the car because he's you know, driven somewhere. You know, and it's really cute. It's funny. Well, well, that is very uh, sweet of you to notice. And I'm finding that that one frame 
And God knows there's a lot of frames in it, in it, your average graphic novel. Sure. But, but it's very um, gratifying to me that a lot of people see that frame. I figured it was going to be like, um, there's a famous story about the Rolling Stones. Um, they would go on tour and somewhere in the body of their endless contract was Mick insists that there be a bowl of only green M&Ms in the dressing room. And if there was no bowl of green M&Ms, they knew to immediately go check the the amps. For some reason, that one buried image of me, so obscure, it's one panel out of 5,000. I think like, wow, they really read the book. So yeah. thank you very so, so that panel is your green M&Ms. So yeah. When you set out to do this, do you write the text first and then decide what to illustrate? How does it work? Oh, that's a, that's a, I love that question. And I'm a little bit of a uh, evangelist for writing first. Lock your story in the sense that you're writing a screenplay. You still have the ability to edit it, but I always start with a story first. Right on. And then you choose, like, this panel's going to be larger. This panel's going to be a huge fold-out two-page thing, and you make those editorial decisions. But as you're going along, yeah. you know, that's sort of what strikes you um, as you're going along. And another thing that strikes you as you're going along that, that you know, that's always sort of delightful um, for people who draw graphic novels is that the, the drawings themselves are like actors. You know, you might, you might expect the little drawing of Dennis to say, um, good morning, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. But you do the drawing of them, and he, and, he, and he doesn't look that way for some reason. He looks like he's saying, do, do you write or draw first? Right. Which is a different. And so then you, you know, you sort of let the drawings act. Right. And then you react to them. Yeah. You see him and you think like, oh, you know what? He doesn't look like he's saying that. He looks like he's saying something much more interesting and funny. One of the things I enjoy about the book are certain people that we know well pop up for just a moment. Bill Clinton, Nancy Pelosi. But you have real fun with those people. Like, you kind of exaggerate their voices and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about those little cameos of people that we all know? Yeah. I mean, that sort of goes back to, uh, in my comic strip, Ethan Green. Right, which I remember well from The Advocate. There was a basic storyline. It was a chronicle of dating nightmares. Right. And they, and they started out reality based. Somehow in my storytelling, I like to, I like to loosen up a little bit and have these sort of flights of fancy where it's suddenly a little more surreal. So when it came to like smart guy, when I would bump up against characters that we all knew, um, like President Clinton, I just started to have fun with it and, and allowed myself to tell the story more metaphorically. Like an example that comes to my mind, during the height of impeachment, Republicans were, you know, rubbing their hands with glee, thinking like, you know, we've got him now. Um, and they, you know, they pressed their case by opening impeachment hearings this was right after the Monica Lewinsky's dress was discovered. Right. They expected the president to resign. Instead, his poll rating skyrocketed. I drew him as if he were in so his presidential chair had like uh, jets on it. Right. Like he a, looks like a rocket like ship rocket shooting chair. out the roof. Yeah, yeah. Right. That, and then that because that's basically what happened to his poll numbers. Right. Um, but I just decided, you know, why not draw him with a little button that allow him to like, you know, to, to you know, to shoot into, you know, the stratosphere. You know, I had fun 
with that kind of stuff. I don't read a lot of uh, comics or graphic novels or anything, but I came to appreciate the way you can, you have the text and then you have these other elements that get to flavor it, add to it. It's very unique. Well, thank you. I, I, I mean, that's yeah. something I do in, in real life too. I think I present as sort of pretty straight, not in the, not in the sexual sense, but right. just in the, you know, just the facts, ma'am. And then like, the, you know, and then for some reason, there's a part of me that's subverting all that. That shows up in my comics. Yeah, it's uh, mischievous in a really fun way. Mischievous, thank you. Oh, um, that's a that's a, a word I I really appreciate. Thank you. You mentioned the Quin the the Clinton uh, Lewinsky thing. I was surprised to learn that Barney Frank was one of the first people to to speak publicly. He was the only Democrat that would go on camera, which yeah. I thought was interesting. Do you think that was because he's had his own sex scandal and survived it, and that he's like, you know what, this is not the end of the world. I can I can handle this. What was it about him that made him? The mouthpiece at the time. I think there was a lot of that. I think that you know that, that Barney was was a um, an example of the electorate really saying like, okay, let's hear, let's hear it, let's hear all these ugly facts, and we'll make a decision. And so the fact that Barney survived it by being extremely upfront with all the ugly details. He owned it right away. That's it. And he exhausted them. I happened to be working for Barney at the time when the Monica Lewinsky, I was young, just out of uh, school. And uh, I had my own little office. The back of the, the door or of my office was the best place in the office for a live shot. So one morning... I had been working on my in, in my job uh, all morning. I tried to open the door, and the door gets. Barney's a big guy. He's like, and he's a sort of a blunt instrument. I I open the door and and it gets pulled right back shut. Right. Like I barely got it open two inches, and it happened again. And it happened a third time. And the third time, the door was shut in my face with enormous force. Right, and I. I couldn't imagine what the, right. you know, what the hell was going yeah. on out there. I knew it was him at that point because right. nobody else is so strong. So I called my the staff director. Um, why can't I get out of the office? You're trapped. Yeah. And she said, the congressman's um, being interviewed by CNN. There's a problem with the president's intern. It was the first I'd heard. Wow. First I'd heard, so it was just breaking. It was just breaking. You know, I had no idea. And that was, that was my, uh, my first... Um, you were trapped uh, by the Lewinsky scandal uh, I, in your office. I was, exactly. Barney Frank is the king of quips. And I miss him in public life because nobody's quite as quippy. His stuff lands. Do you have a favorite quip? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's actually the, it's the quip that I... I was in college and... Uh, I grew up in Chicago, but I was in college in Boston, right. which is how I ended up crossing paths with Barney at some point. Um, and I can remember distinctly, I was in the, uh, in, in our kitchen with my college roommates, you know, a bunch of straight boys who were, um, but fairly politically astute. Right. And, and we had the radio on and some Somebody said, um, what do you think about the idea that 
a lot of these people on the on the right wing, you know, they're pro-life, but they refuse to spend any money on um, child health, early child education, right. blah, blah, blah. And he's, this voice said, well, I think they must uh, believe that life begins at conception and ends at birth. And I, and I thought, like, who the hell is that? Right, and it lands. Um, His stuff lands. It makes you think. It's funny. And it, there's something about the way he um, puts words together, right? Absolutely. And it's throughout the book, you have those moments. And that line, I think, is in the book. Um, do yeah. you have a favorite panel? Yeah, I think my favorite my favorite panel is, and it's, I mean, it's sort of obvious because I blew it up to a full page in the book. But right there's, a page, there's a page early on where Barney's a, uh, a college student, um, and he's standing at the... Uh, at, at the uh, newsstand, Harvard Square. So I have him sort of wistfully staring at the uh, wrestling magazines. Right, like physique magazines, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's probably that's probably my favorite um, panel in the book. I mean, there are others that I like, but that, that one, um, the wistfulness of it, that aspect of the closet, finding some evidence of this life out there, and being very nervous about who might be seeing you do it. Right. I think all of that is sort of embodied in that panel. So. Yeah. It's a theme throughout the book. There are a number of times where he's asked point blank if he's gay and he denies it, once under oath. And you really capture the pain of that for him and how he chose in his public life to be really pro-gay rights. He was in a gay pride parade before he was even out. So he yeah. walked this line of like, I'm going to be... As a politician, I'm going to be the most pro-gay person you can imagine, and I'm going to I'm going to deny this every time it it comes up until I I can't anymore. And it's painful yeah. those moments that come up, and you could you could feel the way he hated it, and that really comes across. Why was that important to you? I, I think it makes for an interesting story. Like, I mean, the story of how people have pain and overcome it. I, I think that overcoming pain is sort of interesting and so yeah. i i did, so i didn't want to ignore it right on the other they didn't want it to be like uh you know you know you kids need to remember that back in the day right right it wasn't always people, like this people were mean to us right. yeah yeah you know? an interesting aspect of barney's story is he chose to be in public life when the thing at his core was disqualifying right not only was he closeted and struggled with every time he had to lie about that. But he was at the forefront of gay rights. Like he, one of the first bills he did in a certain office was get like, he was, he was not being like, let's avoid it at all costs. He was trying to well, that now, advance see, things. That's interesting to me. The, and, and that now I'm clicking in. That's what's interesting about him. He could it's have shied away. He could have been like, it, I have nothing, I want nothing to do with this true. cause at all. It's an interesting choice to make. It's yeah. an interesting choice to like decide like, you know what, I'm going to spend my existence on the knife's edge. Yeah. You know, that's odd. You right. know, like, exactly. Like, I'm going to um, be in public life. I'm not going to address the, the central aspect of my being and yet the 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 uh wherever that aspect intersects with public policy i'm going to be outspoken yeah that's weird yeah you know like and, and, and brave and, in a way i think it's it's awesome so. it's part Absolutely. of and admirable i also think that something that came across in the book was his closetedness 
made him cranky and, and probably hard to deal with in the office. Like you, you're able to connect that. Like you could feel his frustration build, building up and taking it out probably on staff. Is, is that, yeah. he was called the Congress monster. Is that right? For a while? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was he like with you day to day? Because he was, you could tell he was loved as well. Well, the thing is, Barney's, Barney, you know, like everybody else, people are complicated. And Bar- Barney, there's a duality to Barney that is, um, that, that, that's more evident than with some people. He's not subtle. So on the one hand, um, with me personally, um, I'm a political buff. Right. Bar- and, and Barney's a political buff. I needed a job. And he knew me because I was drawing the cartoons on Saturdays for the Boston Globe. Right. Like on. The regular cartoonist, Paul Zepp, would take a day off. Right. And You're I was the Saturday a person. Right. And I did a cartoon where I was very critical of Cardinal Law, the, the city's uh, archbishop. Right. Um, it was begin. It was it was the height of AIDS, and the cardinal was um, terrible on the subject of AIDS. Um, and, uh, and I was, you know, I made fun of them and it was, you know, the fact that the Boston Globe, which is a, you know, liberal politically, but conservative socially was letting me do it was notable. And somehow Barney noticed it. And, and then, and we, we were in the same place. Somebody introduced me to him and he said, basically, Good cartoon, right? You know, you can, uh, <laughs> I like the message. And he said, um, you know, artists have trouble keeping a roof over their head. If you ever need a day job, um, give me a call. So at some point I did need a day job. Um, I was working as an art director at a magazine. It folded. Right. I needed a job. I called him. One of the first things they gave me to do, which is very unglamorous, um, is... He's a, he's an a incredibly difficult backseat driver. Right. You ca- you capture that in the in the. <laughs> there, there, so, there's a woman that's like, how bad can it be? Cut to the next panel. She's sobbing in the car. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, they gave it. They gave me. You know, I was the lowest man on the podium. I get to drive him during those drives. It happens that we're both very political. And he would say to me, out of nowhere, who ran against LaGuardia in, uh, in 1945? And I, weirdly, because I grew up in this kind of household, I know that. Right. I'd, I'd say, Vito Marcantonio. And he'd say, no, Vito Marcantonio ran in 1949. So, you know, we, we played political trivia. Right. Which I would... Thoroughly enjoyable, and then I would sail past the wrong exit, and then he would yell at me. (laughs) You can't. He's distracting you, and then he's going to yell at you, and that's not exactly. Yeah, that's right. He would pull me into this, and then he would say, "He would say, you have one job, and that's to get me to the place I'm going, but you are failing at that job." And I'm like, "You just brought up who brings up? Yeah, Mary Wardia. My brain can only handle so many things. Yeah. So as difficult as Barney can be, as a personality right um he was a good boss you, you so, felt you felt it it comes across it comes across in the book did you collaborate with him on the book at all how does he feel about the book what what's the dynamic there it wasn't an authorized biography in any way you know barney and i i hadn't worked for him for many years but we remain friends and he had said to me at different points that that he wished that the things that were written about him 
um, were a little less in terms of legislative treatises and more about the, the, the struggle. Um, and at some point, the idea, you know, I did come with the idea of, of writing about him. With me, that means cartooning about him. Sure. Um, and uh, because he had some wistfulness about the things that had been written about him before, um, and because I think he's comfortable with me, you know, he, he was uh, supportive of it. So basically, the, what it what it boiled down to is, um, I interviewed him for months, and then I just went away for three years and drew it. Right. Um, and then one day I got to the end of it, and my I, I should say I sold the book first. You right. know, graphic novels. You know, if you're smart, you make sure <laughs> make sure you have a publisher. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, but I do remember getting to the point where all of a sudden, you know, suddenly you've just drawn the last panel. You don't know whether it's any good, but you do know it's finished. Right. Um, and it occurred to me at that point, like, geez, I, I probably should have, like, maybe halfway sent it to him. Right. See, like, I mean, <laughs> maybe, I, little... maybe I should have, yeah, exactly, checked in. So, uh, uh, you know, and... And you know he's 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 not the most at this point like a lot of people his age he's not the he's not the most tech savvy person sure. so you know sending him like uh, and these are drawings drawings are heavy you know it's, right. these are these are huge files so um, two hundred pages of like full color drawings yeah. not something you you can't just say like I'm going to email it to you yeah he's no, he, you he's know. not. He's not down with Dropbox. Right. To navigate yeah. the, yeah. like the multiple yeah. heart PDFs right. that you have to. So it all boiled down to me, like basically putting it in a, in a box. Yep. And, and I'm not Catholic, but if I had, I'd say a bunch of novenas or whatever and, and, right. uh, you know, and hand it over to the FedEx guy and, and, uh, and then hold my breath for about two weeks until he got back to me and said, um, it's fine. I have, uh, 14 uh, factual corrections that you need to make. And that, that, was, that, that was it. I'm like, 14. What about the stuff where I talk about you with a, you know, with a, with a gigolo and, and, and like the things that I say about your mom, like none of that. It was 14 factual corrections, you know, not nothing about uh, the, you know. About the more controversial. That. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. But that's part of what comes across in his thing is that like, look, uh, I've hidden this stuff long enough, and I think yeah. the, the way to freedom is to, to be honest. His mom is quite a character in the book. She's delightful. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad you think so. And yeah. she, and and that is uh, she's passed away now, but um, she was uh, a hell of a force, and she was tough. And yeah. she 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 would march up to those steps of the state house in in uh, in Boston, and they were all frightened of her. Yeah. So. I got to interview Barney Frank once as oh. one of three hosts of a gay radio show called Radio with a Twist. And we mm. were doing a series of sort of, you know, really gay trailblazers and stuff. And it was a phone interview. And we were a pop culture radio show. We'd play like the top seven gay songs of the week. Here's Katy Perry. Right. And then we would do right. these short interviews. <laughs> and I remember kind of being intimidated by him because he doesn't suffer fools or whatever. But I did. Yeah. I wanted to ask him, and I'm not sure how I phrased it. I was sort of saying, you know, does your does your sexuality ever come up 
on the house floor? Do they ever, is it ever, even in a fun way? And I think he, I remember him saying, you know, I get a lot of compliments on my tie game. Like people would compliment his ties. And I was like, oh, that's the perfect answer. Like he got the question and he gave me a sweet, fun answer about like how other congressmen had sort of noticed his ties. And maybe that was uh, sort of a way of, I don't know, making it seem all okay and fun and, and interesting. So that's my well, body you know, frame memory. The interesting thing about him, he's played against tight. He's not exactly the person you're going to go to for like. Right. He's for, not Tom for, Ford. For, exactly. Right. But, but I could see him taking a little pleasure in, yeah. in, 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 you know, in the representative from Guam asking what, you know, saying like, gee, I, I, I like that tie. That like tie is that. really popping. I like it. <laughs> um, one thing that's fun about this format is you get to have these little vignettes, these little sort of episodes, like around the time that MLK was assassinated, there was, yeah. there, the, there was this thing going on in Boston with James Brown and the concert, and Barney was in the middle of that. Um, yeah. And I like that, like, oh, you get these little vignettes, like these little bite-sized mini-stories, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about that one, for example? Martin Luther King, I can't remember the day of the week that he was assassinated, but uh, Barney was the chief of staff at the time to the mayor right. of Boston. And you know, they, they, uh, MLK was killed and almost immediately around the country, um, uh, African-American neighborhoods became, uh, uh, you know, there, there was great concern. Right. I mean, there, there, there were concerns there was, of that there would be unrest there, and yeah. And, you know, Barney worked for the mayor. In the, in the white hot aftermath of the news that MLK has been killed, uh, a DJ from one of the soul stations in the city um, manages to get through to the mayor's office to say that, you know, things Brown is scheduled to play at the Boston Garden, and I'm hearing through my sources, this is the DJ, that the garden, you know, which was probably at the time run by a bunch of, you know, old dinosaurs. Right. Um, uh, the garden, gardens just canceled the concert. Now the Boston Garden is causing a situation where there's 15,000 angry ticket holders. Right. Um, and, and most of them at the time, not all of them, but a lot of them were African-American teenagers, which is, um, so they had a real mess on their hands. And so there was a sort of a mad scramble to, to make sure that the concert proceeded. Right. And then Barney with other people, but I think it was mostly Barney's idea, had this notion that, Hey, if we televised it, People are going to stay home and watch TV. Yeah, they're not going to be out on the streets, possibly. Right. right. Um, and so that was a good idea. Oh, but then James John was like, oh. Oh, yeah, whoa. I don't do TV for no money. <laughs> right, right. And at the time, you know, it seems like such peanuts now. I think he wanted 60 grand. This was actually, I cannot, I'm not a great numbers person. I can never keep this number in my head. I feel like it was 10 grand. That's my Maybe memory of reading grand. the book. I think, it, I think in U.S., in, in, in today's dollars, yeah. it might be 60 grand. Right. This is one of Barney's irritations with me because I keep, <laughs> I've been telling this story for years, right. long before I wrote this book, and I get it wrong every time. Right. And, so it's um, a sizable amount he wanted on top of it. 
Thank you. That they made it happen. The mayor's office was able to find the money and, and it and it worked out. And and I'm not, you know, who knows why things happened, but unlike Newark, unlike Detroit, unlike Washington, D.C., Boston didn't, you know, this the wave of um, arson that happened in those other cities didn't happen in Boston. Wow. In, in the direct aftermath of Martin Luther King's death. The book Absolutely. is full of those interesting vignettes. And you talk about the creation of the Dodd-Frank uh, bill, um, which was really interesting to see how that all played out. What is the current status of that? Because it got undermined a bit, right? Where are we? Politically, it's sort of a paler version of Obamacare. We all know that Obamacare, you know, was the subject of, uh, you know, this shooting gallery of attacks over 10 years, and it still stands. Dodd-Frank, which is the, the Wall Street Reform Act, politically is in a similar circumstance. They, they, they do try and chip away at it. But it's in decent um, shape. It's it's holding. It okay. The, the bill still functions and the, the Consumer Financial Protection Agency is still there. You know, Trump tried to gut it. but Right. It's hanging on. When did you know you could draw? Because as a kid, I liked to draw. And I, I think I wanted to be a cartoonist for a while. I remember saying that. When did you know you were good at it? Like you could do this? Um, I knew that really quickly. Like, like first grade, I could entertain my friends by making, um, and I, I was, I had a very specific skill set. It was making fun of adults. Right. And, 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 and it was golden. I mean, would you, you know, do it like in the school paper or just send I, things to your friends? Well, I definitely did it in the school paper, but early right. on I did, I do it in class. Right. You know, I'd, I'd make a wicked little character of, you know, I like to tell a story. So I'm, I'm not just somebody that likes to draw. I like, I like to tell the story. And then the drawing is like the symbol on the, you know, like is the drawing sells the story. Right. We had a later, you know, in, in, in middle school, for example, we had a, uh, we had a shop teacher who uh, of his Two hands seemed to have three functioning fingers. Right. So you would think like, I mean, the rest were chopped off. And he's a shop teacher. Oh, so like, who would hire the guy? Like, right. Well, the well, shop teacher is missing fingers? That's absolutely. rough. That's a tough and then, sell. And there was a there was a there was a driver's ed teacher in my hometown who sort of famously had his, you know, sitting in the passenger seat while some poor kid was driving around the block. He was always had a cigarette in his right. hand and the kid rammed into the side of a building or, or, you know, the kid jumped a sidewalk, right. hit a building and the, 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 uh, you know, the poor man lost use of his arm. Cause he had so, his arm out the window smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Which is, which I know is tragic, but also sort of funny. Yeah. It's who also kind of amazing. A driver's ed teacher who like, you know, you don't hang your hand out. So, like, I would make fun of people like that. I would do these little drawings. You know, that was later in high school. But even in, even in grade school, I would make these wicked little drawings of our teachers, our our parents. And I would fold them up. And, I, you know, you'd pass them around the room. And that was the source of my... I, I, I was not a great athlete. I was small. Um, 
but the kids thought it was funny. And, and the that, reason they thought that, it was funny was mostly through the drawings. That helped you socially in school at a time that, probably when you're like trying not to be made fun of and all of that stuff. It was your secret weapon. Absolutely. My favorite panel in the book is later in the book and he's with his boyfriend in, in, and the boyfriend's sleeping and, he, and Barney says something like, I could, I could do all of this stuff or I could just sit here and listen to you snore. Like, I can't remember the exact oh, line, but oh, that's, yeah, can you yeah. talk a little bit about that panel and that, that, that part of his life? Yeah, actually I got to that panel and thought, well, it's really the story of a public life. And it's the story of, of that, the struggle that we talked about before, like making this very strange decision to have a public life when, you know, the key aspect of your personality can't be public. Yeah. Um, when that was resolved, I realized, well, the story's over. When I got to that panel, I realized, like, you know, I've, I've reached the end of the arc. And the story was over when they were sitting on the couch. Yeah, it's so. a beautiful, beautiful moment. And then there's um, some some frames of his wedding. Were you at the wedding? Yeah, it was. I was at the wedding. Oh, fun. Uh, and uh, I love anything that ends in dancing. I love dancing. Well, so, like, I well, just... Well, that, that's sort of like... And that, and again, it was sort of like... I was like, yeah, I should just end him dancing. Well, that's, that's, that's sort of nice. Like, it, and, and the thing was... Um, dancing is hopeful. There's something hopeful about dancing. And I don't know, it's my thing. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the shocking thing, like... You don't really see... Well, you certainly don't see, I mean, yeah, yeah, and I don't really have much desire to see a bunch of politicians dance. But like any other group of people, um, I don't have a, my uh, partner, he's a, he's, he is as uh, smooth a dancer. He, he's so charming and, uh, you know, and, and, and I couldn't be more of the opposite. I'm, I'm a thorough embarrassment when it comes to dancing. Um, but in, in, in that sort of spectrum, you see when you go out on any dance floor, like oddly, like it turned out, Nancy Pelosi was really knew how to dance. Yeah. She was dancing. She can tear some shit some up. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Amazing. So, yeah, I love it. I love that that was part of the book. Um, I have a couple more final questions, but before we yeah. do that, your book is available everywhere. Smart Guy, S M A H T G U I. That's right. And is there anything else you want to promote? Your Instagram or any of that stuff? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm on Instagram. It's Eric Sam Warner or at Eric Sam Warner. Right on. And- do you do everything by hand? Your process of drawing is it all just like paper and and pencils and like, or is it a computer thing? It's it's a it's a little bit of a hybrid. Um, right. My working at Disney like made me use, years ago. It was all by hand. Now I I do very rough sketches, um, often just on post-it notes. And because one odd thing, when Ethan Green was beginning to um, slow down, I had five books from St. Martin's Press. Right, I remember. Ethan, yeah, Ethan. and uh, you know I turned to animation. Somehow I wound up, my jobs were, I, I was storyboarding on the Tinkerbell movies, um, which are, you know, these mostly directed DVDs. Yeah, I don't even, yeah. Yeah, you know, somebody once said to me, you know, you really should stick to 
drawing the kind of fairies that wear chaps, not not the kind that wear. Uh... <laughs> that might be the title of this uh, episode. I always pull a quote. Yeah. <laughs> so one advantage of being a Disney artist is if you can make it through with your sanity and 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 you know um, self regard intact to the end of the day, right? Um, you can avail yourself of amazing classes. Oh, and right on. The studio has classes at night and I learned things um, about, you know, color theory, about right. gesture and just about, they didn't make me a great Disney artist, but, but they made me a, a much more potent graphic novelist. Right. Um, so you asked about the process. I draw things. I usually make very rough sketches when I find something I like, I then pull it into the computer, finish it, print it out again, redraw it. There's a lot of interplay between computer and hand. Right. Um, they come so, together. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, here's my final question. For my day job, I write podcasts for a company called Wondery, and they're biographical. Oh, uh, yeah, I love Wondery. The, the different shows are Imagine Life and Even the Rich. And as a result of these, I'll spend three months writing about Whitney Houston or four months writing about James Baldwin or whatever. And each yeah. of these people kind of, they kind of get under my skin in a way. And I, there's something about each one that I kind of take with me. Is yeah. there something about Bar- Barney Frank that you've taken with you into your life that you're like, oh, I should be more like Barney in this way? Or how has studying that man and writing about him affected your own life? I know that my mom and my partner and my the people that love me um for whatever reason um barney uh toughness barney barney's a, a bulldog right like he you know he 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 has a notion of what's right in this world and what isn't and he he stands up and i you know i don't know whether i whether i succeed in that ever but it's the example that I, that goes through my head when you need to stand up, yeah, rather than rather than let somebody else handle it. So uh, that little bit of um, stealing your spine, yeah, that that would be not just my takeaway, but I I hope that's what people take away from from reading Smart Guy. Yeah, I did. I certainly did. Like, man, he really stood up for what he believed in. Um, yeah. And wasn't afraid to ruffle feathers. Wasn't afraid to upset people. I have that thing. I don't want to upset anybody. And well, so, see, I'm the same way. I want yeah. to be, you know, I, it's like I want to be people pleasing. And yeah. and and my interaction with Barney taught me to tamp that down a little bit. Yeah, I love that. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you so much, Eric. Dennis, it was great meeting you. Thanks again to Eric Orner. Pick up his book, Smart Guy: The Life and Times of Barney Frank. You will be glad you did. All right, so this happened. Um, my friend Matt, who has been in and out of town, staying in Palm Springs while some renovations are done, was in town, and we got to hang out. And uh, we decided to watch Bridesmaids, just because, you know, let's pop it in. We've, we were feeling it. And boy, is that movie funny. Boy, is that movie funny. Boy, does it hold up. But um, I was having a thought as I was watching it, something that I've been also thinking about uh, in my own life. You know how I do that. So th- lately I've been thinking about, so I'm tying the So This Happened and that together. So in the movie, Maya Rudolph is getting married and all of her friends, Kristen Wiig and all of the rest of them have to do all this stuff to celebrate her wedding. 
there's an engagement party. There's a bachelorette party. There's a shower. There's a thing. And there's the reception. And here's my point. I think people that get married get a lot of way to go kid stuff, validation um, from our culture. And it just keeps going. And it's endless. And I think sometimes if you found your person that you want to spend your life with, you already won. That's the win. And now you get to give us a list of shit we have to buy you at Restoration Hardware? Like, it's a lot. And then uh, maybe it's just sour grapes because I don't have um, a partner. And, and uh, <laughs> But I don't think it is. I mean, part of it is because I don't pine all the way. Like, oh, no one loves me. I'm not that guy. I try to put myself out there and be open to it. But I think there's like, gosh, married people, wedding stuff. And, and afterwards, and then, like, it's to the point now where I'll see a Facebook post by some friend who's in a happy relationship, and they'll be like, 12 years ago, I looked across the crowded bar, and there you are. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, I really <laughs> shut that shit down. And it sounds like sour grapes, but it's kind of like winning. You already won. You got the person. You found your person. Shut up. You already won. What do I... Now I need to smiley face for it? Like, I don't know. I This really is going to sound bitter. But you know what? One of my news resolutions was to be... Uh, on, to say more of what I think. Talk about stuff. And so here it is. But yeah, no. It's like... It's like... Boy, there's a lot. Uh, and in Bridesmaids, poor Kristen Wiig has to just keep showing up to all these different things. And, uh, and congratulate the person that already won the big prize. But... Here's also a cake. Um, that said, I do uh, enjoy a nice piece of wedding cake, and I like when people dance at weddings, which is tying us back into the Barney Frank story. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, shout out to AJ Sousa for mixing. JB Bursey, thanks for your technical support. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for placement music. Catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.